Election Studio on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello, I'm Trevor Dan. Welcome to Election Studio 2021, the review. And uh, phew, as they say, we didn't see all that coming, did we? Uh, why and how did Dr Johnson become the new mayor in that nail-biting contest that saw the end of James Palmer and his metro? How and why did the Tories lose overall control of Cambridgeshire County Council? The triumph of independent Queen Sam in Queen Edith's? And what does it mean for all of us in the next 60 minutes on Cambridge 105 Radio. Well, thank goodness we have a team of estimated, esteemed rather, academics, commentators and bloggers who can help us understand what went on on Thursday. Back from last week's preview programme, I'm delighted to welcome Phil Rogers, the man we're all calling Spreadsheet Phil, after his heroic efforts on Twitter yesterday. Hello, Phil. Good morning. Have you recovered from your clicking <laughs> and excelling? Just about, but I think I'll take a break from making any more graphs for a little while. <laughs> An excellent piece of work. I, I tweeted myself that it was like watching a big football match on CFAX. Uh, it was the, but the tension that was building from your uh, spreadsheet commentary was excellent yesterday. It was quite nail-biting stuff at times. <laughs> Let's say hello again to John Elworthy, editor of the CAMS Times, the Wisbeach Standard and the Ely Standard. John, um, what sort of a day and weekend have you been having following the results? <laughs> Two very, very long days. Yesterday was um, quite extraordinary. And uh, I counted up the number of tweets that I'd personally done yesterday, and there were 44 of them, and um, probably... You know, another 30 retweets, many of which retweets are obviously of Phil's because uh, he added the um, the info that uh, us hacks really need. But it was a really exciting day, and, and I'm so grateful for new technology because we have a new um, website system and a new um, print system, so I could update the story re re literally in real time um, and keeping an eye on all the different you know, uh, ways you do these things these days, um, kept it right up to the minute. And it was nail-biting. <laughs> it was it was just like, you know, journalistic heaven, if you like that sort well, of thing. Well, let's no. say hello also to Mike Shalom, business correspondent of the Cambridge Independent. Uh, how are you doing, Mike? Hi, Trevor. Yeah, pretty good. Thank you very much. Were, yeah, you, yeah, uh, I mean... were you stuck on social media? Uh, not entirely, but yes, inevitably, um, significantly stuck on social media uh, and news channels. Um, yeah, I, I live in Abbey Ward, actually, Trevor. So, uh, uh -huh. so you'll you know, have we had some quite interesting, an interesting uh, um, election. Yeah. Um, so we'll outcome. we'll come to some of the individual stories that emerged. But let's say hello to our fourth panelist, augmenting uh, last week's uh, selection. Um, Professor Sean Lang is here from Anglia Ruskin University. Sean, how are you? Uh, very well. I've just been promoted to professor. <laughs> oh, have you? Right. Well, I, you'll always be professor to me. Uh, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, Sean, give us, before we start picking through some of the individual Cambridge and Cambridgeshire stories, give us a kind of overall perspective of this interesting election because Cambridge has been something of an outlier, hasn't it? Yes, it has. Uh, it's been very much out of kilter with the general picture, which, of course, on the whole, it's been very favourable in favour of whichever party's been in power in the different parts of the kingdom. Um, obviously, the Scotland's been a very big story um, the, the last couple of days. And, of course, on the whole, there have been very good results for the for the Conservatives, but with particular areas in Manchester and London where uh, Labour's been able to you know, hold its own. But on the whole, as, as we know, it's been a very bad day for Labour, apart from in Wales. Um, so then you have 
Cambridgeshire. And Cambridgeshire, the story's been, been different. And uh, so in that sense, it makes us a particularly interesting area, particularly interesting county to look at. I've seen one or two other people in other parts of the country sort of pointing to Cambridgeshire. Um, and to some extent, a sort of comfort for, uh, for Labour on what was <coughs> otherwise a very bad weekend. Um, and, but, I, but I think when you look at the, the, the local um, story in more detail, as we'll be doing, um, it's, you know, there are, there are reasons. Um, but yeah, it, I think this, is, this makes there's such an interesting area to, to, to work with. Um, rather like Brexit, of course, where South Cams was, uh, was uh, against Brexit when the whole region um, uh, was for it. As you say, we will go into the local picture, but I think as it's breaking this morning, we should just briefly discuss how Labour seems to be dealing with its great loss. We were told yesterday that um, that, that uh, Keir Starmer um, had sacked Angela Rayner from her job as the chair of the uh, Labour Party. And then this morning, uh, a man from Scottish Labour said, no, 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 she hasn't been uh, sacked. She's been promoted to a new important role in the party. I mean, on a general level, Sean, how, how does this all play out for a, a party that ought to have done clearly a lot better than it did? I think, um, for once, actually, some of the uh, commentators who are, you know, outside Labour uh, are on to, on to something. I think this is part of a long drawn out um, rethink of, in a sense, what what the whole party is for. I mean, obviously, in the short term, there'll be a rethink of the uh, of, of the, the shadow cabinet. Um, Angela Rayner's position again, because she was the actual campaign coordinator, and that's what she was sort of uh, removed from. But on the other hand, you know, when the campaign's over, they. <laughs> um, to some extent, that that's uh, an obvious step anyway. Uh, so the whole thing is clearly being very mishandled. But I do think there's a much more basic question, um, which is a party which is at war with itself, clearly, and is going to be more so. Now, all parties go through a period when they're at war with, the, with themselves. We've seen it with the Conservatives. But the question is, do you emerge from that having changed to suit whatever the new situation is that you've got to adapt to? And I do think Labour is... Uh, it's very tightly tight rule system makes it much harder for it to evolve um, than for the Conservatives. The Conservatives clearly have changed um, and and evolved. And uh, so Boris Johnson's Conservative Party is very different from Mrs Thatcher's Conservative Party uh, and even, I suppose, from John Major's uh, Conservative Party. And it's much harder for, for Labour to do that but it's going to have to if it's going to have a future as a unified party. And I have to say, and I'll come off the fence here, I'm not sure that it does. Well, we'll dig into some of those and other issues, I'm sure. Let's go to Phil now. Phil, as I was mentioning, you were watching the results coming in uh, from all, all around Cambridgeshire yesterday. And uh, it, it particularly came down to that focus of that couple of hours, didn't it, about the mayoral election. Mm. Why did James Palmer lose? And I'm, I'm asking that because I think that's possibly more important than why did Nick Johnson win? Well, in the end, it all came down to where the second choice vote went. So uh, we have two votes for the mayor. There's um, first choice and second choice, which is applied if your first choice candidate hasn't got through. And after the first choice votes were counted, uh, James Palmer got about 40% and Labour got 33, the Lib Dems 27. So then there was the runoff and it was during that runoff that the transfers from the Lib Dems came through and they went to Labour um, much more than they went to the Conservatives. And that pushed 
uh, Nick Johnson just to 51%, so he was just able to take it. But it was real nip and tuck stuff. And there, of the six districts, uh, some were more for Labour, some were more for Conservative, and it was kind of, is he going to get enough? Because he needed to get most of them. And in the end, it was just enough. There is, of course, some pushback from uh, Tory commentators, isn't there, this morning, saying this isn't fair. This guy, James Palmer, got the majority of first preference votes in a first-past-the-post system, he would have been the winner. And now, because of this other funny thing that's going on that nobody really understands, it turns out they didn't win after all. What, what's the rationale for the supplementary vote system? Well, the argument is, you know, the mayor's got a lot of power. It's, um, it's a big job over a big area and lots and lots of voters. And after the first round, um, James Palmer only had the support of 40% of those. So the second choice vote gives the voters whose candidates haven't made it through to the top two a chance to say which of those two they want. So at least the mayor ends up with 50% support, um, which doesn't always happen under first-past-the-post. So that's the argument in favour of it. But the Conservative government have said they're planning to abolish it and go back to first-past-the-post, in which case Mayor Palmer could even come back. And interestingly, the Tories don't say that about the supplementary vote system in Scotland, do they? Uh, Which uh, does actually work in their favour up there. Um, John, do you know, Nick, Johnson, I imagine you might do because he's been a Hunts district councillor. I don't know him personally, but I've um, had a lot of dealings with him over the last. What, what um, would we uh, expect from him? We, I mean, we well, we know he said he'll abolish the metro overnight. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 gone on this three C's thing, you know, um, compassion and uh, you know, and he and he really doesn't like um, cronyism. I, I think he just sort of came out of the blue. On a, on a wider stage. And in fact, you know, the results at the county council, um, which were not good for the Lib, uh, not good for Labour in Huntington, um, are being blamed somehow on, on him sort of being the, the pivotal head of the, uh, the Labour group in Huntington and having to concentrate on the, on the mayoralty election. He just comes across, I, I think the word that I was looking for, and I think it is the right word, he, he offers a sort of a warmth, uh, about a political figurehead that, you know, sadly, you know, the the the, the characteristics of of James Palmer, I, I don't think you would find the word warmth um, anywhere near the top of the words that you might use to describe him. And I think people have just generally sort of rode back on the type of political leadership they may want in Cambridgeshire. Um, and I do think that with, particularly with James Palmer, I mean, I've talked to a lot of the people who... Uh, our councillors in in East Cambridgeshire, which is his home territory, and that he he is a prophet without honour, mainly in his own hometown, sort of thing. So, you know, he's not particularly um, popular for some of the things that he's done. And I think when you come back to cronyism, which is a really key part of what it, it, I think his his merity will be, you know, remembered for, was the appointments of people like. Tom Hunt, who was a councillor, left the council to become his personal assistant and then went off to become the MP for um, for, uh, for Ipswich. And then there was the, uh, the, the, foot, and the, the man who replaced James as leader of East Cams, Charles Roberts, um, who then suddenly decided to resign. And I spoke to him before he left the leadership of the council and he told me that he, you know, he basically was tired and he needed to do something else. And then in, in, in like five minutes later was a £48,000 a year, four-day-a-week special advisor on housing to James Palmer. And then there's the appointment of another uh, Conservative councillor from Norfolk, 
who's in the mix now okay, as a John, communication John, specialist. So I John, think, I think this sort of thing. I think we've uh, been around some of those, uh, some, uh, some of that course before. I could see uh, Mike Shalom um, shaking his head somewhat vigorously. Um, well, what what, what yeah, did you I mean, want to come in and say, Mike? Well, your, your question was, you know, like how did uh, how did Nick Johnson win, and uh, how did uh, James Palmer lose? I, I mean, I think that the, 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 there are kind of like um, first of all, this is like a people saying this is, this is crumbs of comfort, you know, like for for labour for the labour movement, if you want. Um, I think it's a whole sesame roll. We have the labour city council, the mayoralty, and the county council are under no overall control. So that's a very interesting situation. But when it comes to the the, the Cambridge mayor, I mean. I, I, I'm, I'm, I think it's fantastic uh, that Nick Johnson has been so clear uh, about the Cam Metro and his values uh, of, of, of community um, that he's, he, he's been, you know, he's an NHS doctor as well. I think that's, uh, you know, obviously going to be big in the, in the, in the, in the credit bank. Um, but, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he's just saved me, you know, two million, two billion quid on this metro, you know, like it's like let's get, let's get something sensible, you know, on, on, on the table. I'm, I'm slightly concerned about the uh, 100k home situation. And I understand that effectively the, uh, the central government has already scrapped it because the, uh, the, uh, there wasn't enough uh, progress under Mayor Palmer. Uh, so he's wise to um, kind of like let that go, probably. But he needs to come up with some sort of way. Uh, for people to get on the affordable homes ladder. Phil, if I could just come back... Sorry, Phil, if I could just come back to you. The um, issue of the, the, the mayoral election that I think may have taken you a bit by surprise was that the Liberal Democrats didn't initially come second. Yes, they did manage to come second last time, and it was always going to be uh, fairly close as to which of them made it through to the second round this time. In in the end, I think they were about six points behind. Um, and that was a little bit of a surprise, because they'd done particularly well in South Cambridgeshire in, in 2018. They took control of the council there, which a lot of people weren't expecting. Um, but they don't seem to have done quite well enough um, to, to make it through to the... Uh, um, to the final round this time. So, um, yep, it, but that worked very well for Labour because they got a lot of those Lib Dem transfers and whether it would have worked the other way around, I don't know. I suppose that brings us, if I could stay with you for a moment, Phil, to this question of, in the county council election, was there some kind of pact between the Labour and Liberal Democrats in South Cams. Because I'm in South Cams, I turned up to vote, no Labour candidate on the paper. Um, was they've, they've all denied that they had a pact, but it did look awfully like one. Well, this depends whether you favour, I guess, the uh, cock-up or conspiracy theory of history, um, <laughs> because certainly Labour didn't run candidates in, in a number of places in, in South Cambridgeshire, which uh, which they have done in the past, and that did help the Lib Dems, and in a few cases that meant they came out ahead of the Conservatives. And as a result, we're now in no overall control, and so Labour are going to have a lot more say in the County Council than they would have otherwise. So was, was I don't imagine there was as an outright arrangement between the two parties, but um, if Labour were having trouble finding candidates for some relatively no-hope area, they may have said, oh, well, let's just not run anybody and see what happens. So um, possibly not a conspiracy, but uh, um, maybe a sort of uh, situation which they took work to their advantage. John Elworthy, do you think there'll be anything noticeable about the behaviour of Cambridgeshire City Council moving forward? You know, if we're an, an ordinary resident, will we notice the fact that the Tories are in no over, overall control or will they in fact just pretty much carry on as they did? 
I think you meant the Cambridgeshire County Council. County Council, I'm sorry, event. yes. Yeah. Oh, you'll notice the difference. Um, uh, I, I think we'll see... When you, when you look at what the county council is, it's a committee system. It was The committee system was brought in um, because of uh, UKIP re requiring it when they uh, held the balance of power. The one thing they wanted was the committee system, so that got brought in. And so you do have, instead of having a cabinet system where it was, you know, fairly obvious that the Conservatives were in control um, years back, you know, we have had a committee system that has uh, mitigated some of the worst excesses, perhaps you might agree, that, of cabinet um, governance. We have a committee system, we have a, a council and no overall control. That is quite unusual. And I, um, But what I do think is that we will see um, the emergence of possibly not a formal pact, but we categorically will see uh, the uh, Lib Dems and Labour playing a very prominent role in the new authority. Talks have already gone on with, they were going on before the election with the um, the, the, the independents in, in the Huntingtonshire area. And I, I think there's enough of them, and there are four of them, and you only need one or two of them, um, to really, you know, have some sort of unofficial, you know, lib, lab, slightly independent pact. And once you've got the committee set up, then for you've got a committee chairman who is not a Conservative, um, and then that committee chairman will have a casting vote, which committee chairmen always do, you will see, you know, uh, a completely different approach to uh, the governance in Cambridgeshire. And, um, so, John, you know, John, let me just be absolutely clear about this. There'll be a lot of people listening who will want to know an answer to this. It sounds as though you're saying that Cambridgeshire County Council will be run by a Lib Dem Lab Indie coalition moving forward. Yes. Yes. Uh, and yet the Tories are saying, no, we'll carry on as an over, uh, overall control. Thank you very much. Well, the Conservatives I spoke to in the last couple of days don't have that level of confidence. Oh, right. And <laughs> the first thing they need to get through is the um, whether they re-establish uh, Steve Count as their leader. They're not blaming him so much for the, the loss of seats, what they are blaming him for. You mentioned it in the preamble, I hate to go back to it, but the way that he handled Farmgate is not did not cover him in glory. And if you actually look through the campaign on the Conservatives, he didn't actually produce a manifesto very much, uh, just a load of aspirations and we, we've done well for the county and we've had less money and we're doing all right. But he wasn't very visible in any TV or radio debates, apart from a couple on, I think, on, on the Radio Cambridge show. You know, but there was no social media drive from him. And I think he, he basically has sort of... Um, you know, accepted his fate. If you look at what he said to one or two people after the results on Friday, so there'll be a new leader. And if you look also at some of the other interviews that were done by other people, and I suspect that um, Josh Schumann, uh, who gave a very in uh, forthright interview to one of the uh, local democracy guys the other day, um, he's clearly vying to take over as the leader of the Conservative group on Cambridge County Council. Um, and he's a different kettle of fish altogether to Steve Count. And um, again, you know, who, he would probably work quite well with the Lib Dems. Let me ask you, sure um, let me ask you this, Mike. Um, does it make any difference to us as residents of the county that it looks as though there's going to be not just a Labour mayor, but a Lab Lib Dem indie Author, you know, running the um, ca the county council. I mean, does that mean that there might be more joined up thinking? Uh, we would hope so. I mean, the way the um, GCP and uh, the combined authority were at loggerheads over the last uh, year or so has been very dispiriting, Trevor. I mean, I, I, they're separate things. Having said that, I mean, you know, Nick Johnson's got to strike his own 
his own um, note uh, and move forward and the county council uh, personally my view would be simply that uh, I'd try and suspect that the Lib Dems and the uh, Labour are in quite an interesting position and I think there's a wider context here because for me the Labour Party to move forward I think they should get involved in coalition you know, opposition coalition politics. I think that's a very good uh, way to proceed. And we'll see, this is like a micro version that's happening in Cambridge. My uh, suggestion would be that um, the uh, Lib Dems and Labour will not vote together uh, as a pack, if you want, uh, for the first, you know, few weeks, few months. Let's see how things go, whether Steve Counter remains leader, what the what the Conservative Party is saying, is uh, you know, uh, 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 and so on. But that will always be in the back of the picture. The, the Labour and the Lib Dem parties could join together and defeat the Conservatives, and that will temper the worst excesses of the uh, to- Tory, Tory party's inclinations at this stage. This is a good time to bring Sean back in. Does that reflect the way that the parties might be behaving in Westminster? You know, I was hearing somebody yesterday saying that Keir Starmer should invite... Caroline Lucas into his shadow cabinet, uh, although she's actually a Green, you know, and Ed Davey, who's not really um, picked up a lot of traction, might be thinking, well, you know, might be better to be part of a a broader union. We've seen coalitions and pacts of all sorts not work for the left and the centre-left, but is, is there growing up, do you think, a sense of maybe they've got more in common than divides them? In case of a link with the Greens, that probably would could work because there's only one MP and there's quite a lot of overlap, I suppose, between the sort of people who vote Green and if there were not a Green candidate, they're the sort of people who would tend to vote Labour. But coalitions tend not to be very well received by the electorate unless there's a real emergency like a war or indeed a pandemic. Um, <clears throat> Once you get in, when they're coalitions which are basically in order for one party to, you know, keep its head, keep its foot in the water, um, they tend not to go down well. I mean, obviously, the most recent one we had was the um, Conservative Lib-, Lib Dem coalition, and see how the Lib Dems regard that now. They regard, you know, for the most part, they they reject it. They see it as the terrible thing, and they and, and it's certainly they believe, and they may be well be right that they're still suffering from the effects of that. I think it's that plus Brexit myself, um, and in Keir Starmer's position, the figure he'd have to be really wary of is uh, Ramsay MacDonald, who formed a coalition with Labour when it needed to in a time of emergency, the economic emergency of the of the slump, um, and as a result ended up simply as a Labour figure thrown out of his own party uh, in charge of what was effectively a Conservative government. Same sort of thing with Lloyd George before. It's a very, very poisoned chalice, and I, I think that if, um, if Labour were, at, whether at Westminster or at local level were to go down the route, the route of linking up in a formal way with the Lib Dems, um, I think that would hasten the sort of divisions and possible splits, I think, within the Labour Party that, you know, personally, I, I, I think they are, uh, if they're not careful, they are heading towards. In terms of um, the local angle, I think much depends on the attitude of the Conservative government, because Coalitions tend to cohere when there is a very, very clear uh, enemy, as it were, against, so they can sort of sink their differences in facing that. And the only way I would have thought that um, Lib Dem and Labour might possibly cohere in a more formal sense, as opposed to, um, you know, on one issue to another issue, you know, that that's, that sort of approach, would be if 
central government seemed to be so imposing of its will that they sort of felt that they that they uh, needed to uh, to sort of work together to oppose it. But otherwise, um, uh, you know, Lib Dems. The reason people vote Lib Dem is because they don't want to vote. Usually, is because they don't want to vote for one of the other two parties, and and that's not just the Conservatives. They vote Lib Dem because they don't want to vote Labour, um, as well. So yeah, I know. It, in terms of numbers, it might look attractive, but rather like the situation in Scotland where they do have the great sort of um, thing they want to defeat, which is the independence movement. So therefore you might, you know, they might sort of cohere then. But once that is out of the way, then it, they tend to fall apart. So yeah, coalition might sound um, attractive and it might make mathematical sense, but in internal political terms, it's a very, very tricky thing and not something most leaders want to go down. Sean Lang is here from Anglia Ruskin University. We've got Mike Shalom, business correspondent of the Cambridge Independent, John Elworthy, editor of the CAMS Times, and Phil Rogers, spreadsheet Phil, local uh, star blogger. Uh, we're all uh, talking about the elections that happened on Thursday. It's Election Studio 2021, The Review, from Cambridge 105 Radio, and it's uh, just 12.27 high time. We turned to the City Council, where I suppose the biggest story was the election of Sam Davis, um, an old friend of yours, Phil. We shall uh, signal that up front. But um, what you predicted this, you said that you, you thought she would win and win well, which she did. Uh, was this a case of local issues trumping national in- issues? I think it's a case of solid hard work, to be honest. Uh, Sam stood two years ago at the last uh, city council elections and it was a sort of fairly... Uh, short decision before the campaign to stand then and she got a good solid second place and um, she's really been working hard this time. I think her team have done a great job of communicating the issues. They're, they're heavily engaged in what's going on in Queen Edith. So they really care about the area and uh, I'm, I'm very pleased to see Sam elected. I think she'll make an excellent councillor. What's it going to mean? I mean, being a local a councillor, being an MP, anyone being independent, having you know strictly no party system with you, you know surrounding you, that's quite hard work, isn't it, to actually be able to go back to your constituents and say, look, I've achieved this or that. Yes, it is. You're you're really on your own. Um, whereas if you're a member of a party, you've got a lot of support. There's a lot of advice. Um, the party machine is churning out the leaflets. You've got volunteer deliverers turning up to uh, to put your message out and so forth. Um, but I, th- I think that does tend to make more effective independent candidates for the for the ones who get through. And we saw this in Castle with John Hipkin as well, who who represented that area for many years. And you have to work hard as an independent, and it's it's the people who are prepared to do that 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 actually make a success of it. So I I think uh, Sam is well placed to uh, uh, represent Queen Edith well and and keep communicating with her voters. And I'm sure we'll hear a lot more from her. Uh, Mike Shalom, we've talked a lot on Cambridge 105 Radio about the fact that people in Cambridge, in the, in the city, often don't know who's responsible for what. The example that's normally given is traffic calming, which is actually a county council issue, but people often say, oh, those, you know, those buggers running the city council, it's all their fault. Um, what, how do you read the way the city council went on Thursday? Uh, well, actually, I, you know, I, I was slightly surprised in, uh, to, to, to the extent that I did think Labour, and I said so last week, Trevor, um, you know, we're, we're in a little bit of trouble. But I think what's, uh, what's happened is people have said, look, you, you're, you've got the, you, you're halfway through the job. Um, you know, there's, there's, the, there's Mill Road, there's the market, there's, there's, there's housing, there's homelessness. 
Um, there's a lot on the agenda. Um, you know, get on with it, and uh, you know, you know, hopefully there'll be a, a, a favourable outcome for you know the cities, communities, and and, and businesses. Um, the, the one thing that slightly surprised me, um, and this is perhaps a tangential point, Trevor, we're worth making about the city council election. If you look at the results by party, um, Labour polled 41% of the votes and won 27 seats. Um, Sam Davies, obviously the independent there, um, polled uh, 12, uh, sorry, uh, 2% actually, uh, and won her seat. Uh, the Green Party, uh, who won two seats in, uh, in the ward where I live, Abbey, polled 20% of the, of, of the votes. So um, they, they polled half of Labour, but got, you know, massively fewer um, results. So that's, that does suggest something that is slightly skewed about um, how the local democratic um, system works. And that, that's, you know, because, because at the end of the day, the Greens aren't an independent party, if you don't mind my saying so. Uh, they're the Green Party, and uh, they now have a presence in, in, at, at the table and people will be very enthusiastic, as they will be with Sam Davies, because people love a bit of an underdog. What uh, did the Greens bring? I mean, you can talk about this because, you, as you said, you were, I'm not accusing you of voting for them or, or the opposite, but you live in the Abbey Ward. So why did you see it coming? What, 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 what were they bringing to the, the electorate? Uh, yes, I, I, you know, I think some of it is a vote against things. Um, we've got the Mali estate going on um, right, right across the way here. Um, it's been, um, you know, ma- massive, massive own goal by uh, Hill and Marshall uh, to not inform um, the local residents of what was going on. All sorts of suspicions about the development agenda and concern about climate change. Let's face it. I mean, um, you know, um, th- 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 this is a party. Much like the Liberal Democrats, when they, um, you know, voted to remain in the EU, you know, everybody knew where they stood. Everybody knows where the Green Party uh, stands, and it's, it's, you know, it's not on the side of greenwashing. It's about on the side of getting getting things done and introducing some sort of sustainable momentum towards a, to, towards a sustainable economy uh, as rapidly rapidly as possible. It's that, that's 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 the one thing that I would say um, has has stood them in 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 good stance here. John Alworthy, if I can come back to you, Mike was just saying he was slightly surprised that the Labour vote held up as well as it did in the City Council. Um, taking a broad view, and we talked already about how they, they, they did better in the, city, in the County Council than we expected, they won the mayoralty. Um, what is it about Labour in this area that seems to keep it more buoyant than in some of its so-called heartlands? Well, Cambridge, of course, I mean, and I spent many years working in Oxford and, um, you know, they, you had a, a very strong um, Labour uh, city council when I worked there for many years. Well, um, often we had a Conservative MP. So, um, and it, it's, it, you could argue that you have a, a, a brighter set of people in a university city, you understand the issues even better. Oh, um, get down with you. <laughs> but <laughs> but what was really interesting, it was, it was the reference there to Sam as the independent. And I think, you know, that is such a rarity in, in, a, in, a, in a council in, in Cambridgeshire, really, to have, you know, a, a lone independent or one or two of them. Um, you know, I hope she fares a lot better than the independents have done so in Fenland, where the Conservatives, who were ruled the roost down here, have treated, I would suspect, and I would suggest quite badly, the independents. And we've got a growing number of independents who are people who have been either sacked, 
from the Conservative group or have left the Conservative group um, to, you know, to make their way as an independent and they are growing in numbers. Um, and they do they do bring something different to the party, but to be a, a lone, you know, independent on, in, a, in a big city, um, it's got to be on single issues that she will achieve any momentum or success because the idea that you can, you know, knock heads together of the two bigger parties and, and emerge with something that, you know, you would, you know, that you've initiated, I would think she has a very difficult term task ahead. And it was interesting, again, you talk about the Labour vote. I mean, we I was talking to um, one of the Lib Dem people yesterday, uh, no, it was this morning, early, um, and we were discussing about the, uh, I'll tell you about what, actually, it was Rupert Moss Eckhart, we were talking about the Liberal Dem, uh, Democrat presence, and he mentioned Fenland. And I said, the problem that you have that neither of the two um, opposition parties to the Conservatives have a, a, a ground network they don't have the operation on the ground that the conservatives have and you know that does make a big difference so for you know where you have the labor party you know well organized and 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 with a you know some electoral success that electoral success breeds the energy to to get the paper uh, get the party on its feet but when you don't have any electoral success it gets harder and harder every year however good the candidates might be to achieve any success so you know we we were completely blue um, in every vote that we've taken part in in the last, um, you know, 24, 48 hours. Phil was, I was talking to Phil this morning, you know, about the, you know, would the percent, the, we had a very low turnout in, in Fenden for the election, but had there been a higher uh, turnout, could the second preference votes actually have kept James Palmer in? And um, Which is quite an interesting thought, and it's a possibility I think Phil thinks it might just have given him a, a, a better chance. But Let, let's go to let's go to Phil. Do you do you want to just address that because it is quite an interesting subject, isn't it? Uh, yeah. So the turnout in in Finland was the lowest of all the districts in in Cambridgeshire, and uh, uh, the transfers tended to go to uh, to James Palmer there a, a bit more, um, or, or the overall vote rather. Um, but uh, had the uh, had the turnout been, I think I worked it out as forty nine percent, which is kind of a little bit higher, but still, you know, not a massive number. Just one in two people going to the polls. Um, then that would have just just been enough for for Mr. Palmer to hold on. Um, but but as it was, a lot of those voters stayed at home, and uh, and, and and he lost out. Let's uh, deal with the election we haven't spoken about yet, which is the Police and Crime Commissioner for Cambridge and Peterborough. The Tories hold it. It was tight, though. Uh, Daryl Preston winning with a very narrow victory over Labour's Nikki Massey, who, by the way, lost her city council seat, didn't she, Phil? Um, so this Police and Crime Commissioner vote, it looked pretty tight from the outside. Is that how you read it? Yes, that's right. And you've got to feel sorry for Nikki Massey. She's had a tough old week losing her seat to the Greens and Abbey and, and also missing out on the Police and Crime Commissioner election. And it was using the same system as the mayoral election. It's in the same area with the same voters. So it looked at one stage as if it was going to go very similarly. Um, but it turned out that in, in a few districts, the, the vote was just that little bit different, which meant that she was a few percent behind. Though she did make it through to the second round. So, uh, um, you know, that's it's, it's a pretty good achievement all the same. I wondered looking at all the bumps that came through my letterbox, and I'm sure you're all the same, whether anyone really explained properly what the Police and Crime Commissioner does? I mean, Sean, I can see you kind of nodding along. Uh, is that how you felt? I mean, this is a pretty complicated local government organisation already, and here's another layer. Do people really understand it? 
I think there is an issue there. Um, I don't think people do. And um, I'm just making a link with Line of Duty just last <laughs> week when I think one of the figures that in there was the, the local commissioner. Um, I think people are very You were the chairs, sure, I wasn't. Yeah, yeah, well, no, I was H. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think this was a very complex election. And I think this is an issue here. Um, if you think we had three ballot papers, different colours, uh, the one, two, second choice, and all the rest of it is, it, you know, is something we're not so familiar with. Um, and, you know, because we're used to the very simple general election, put one X in the candidate that you want. And that's, you know, nothing simpler than that. And I think that for many voters, um, the, the sheer complexity of these elections now um, is quite a difficulty. Um, to um, and and I, you know it's one thing you have an idea of the mayor you have a vague idea I suppose that uh, that it's a political post with a you know not unlike a sort of uh, head of a head of a county council um, though I think not many people could tell the difference between the two there but as the police and crime commissioner thing that where the parties stand because when you look at the uh, the manifestos what do they say you know, it doesn't really matter which uh, which party they want more police officers on the beach they want to put down this type of crime or that type of crime it's a What's very good thing? point you make. They, they were all. The, I did actually bother reading them, and they, you, you couldn't put a, 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 you know, cigarette paper between them, really, could you? There is a. a then I think. Then I think it goes to your sort of national idea of which party is tougher on crime. And that's when I think that issue begins to come into the mind as you're sort of looking at the paper, deciding which one to go for. Mike, but what do you think reason. about the um, police and crime commissioner being a former policeman? Um, yeah, well, you know, congratulations to Daryl Preston. Um, he, you know, he, he fought a good campaign. Um, you know, I'm not entirely objective about it, Trevor, because uh, uh, Nikki Massey, as you say, lost her, her council seat and lost uh, the crime commissioner's um, um, position. Uh, and she, you know, would like to pay tribute to her. Actually, she's been, you know, fantastic for Abbey Ward. Um, she's, you know, real hard worker, and I'm sure she'll have, you know, continue to contribute to public life. Um, in terms of uh, the police and crime commissioner role, um, the, the reason that, and I'll, you know, be, I'll put my cards on the table, the reason I voted for Nicky Massey was nothing to do with the uh, suggestion that, you, you know, party politics or whatever. It was entirely on the basis that my understanding of the role is, uh, is, is that it interfaces the police and the public. Uh, and uh, we need this more and more. For instance, we have the police and crime bill coming up. Now, in the police, if it passes, um, which are, frankly would be very alarming because it's been, um, you know, discounted by the UN and human rights organisations, but if it does, um, then we're, we're in a situation where noisy protests, for instance, uh, can be banned. Now, you need somebody like the Police and Crime Commissioner to be talking to, to Black Lives Matter, to, uh, to, to Extinction Rebellion, and saying, look, you know what? What? What are you planning to do? Then, then going to the police uh, constabulary and saying, "Look, these are the plans. What are you going to do in terms of policing? Because there's a huge amount of grey area. What is a noisy protest? Every protest is noisy. How do the police plan to to deal with it in terms of public order and public safety, and then to relay the information back to the to to, to the groups involved? That's what the role is. Anybody can say we need more police. It's, you know, bang the drum for more, for more police. And, and do you more think that Daryl Preston, as an ex-policeman, can hold the police to account or is he going to be automatically kind of on their side? 
we published an interview with all the candidates in the Cambridge Independent uh, in the run to the to the, to this election, Trevor. And um, you know, my concern uh, about uh, Daryl Preston was that that uh, you know he, he his his stated intentions to support the police in the use of stop and search and prevention orders. Now, stop and search orders are very contentious. Nine times the number of of, of people that that are, that, are, that are subjected to those orders are black people. And, um, you know, so to say that, you know, like uh, we're going to we're going to put stop and search as a priority is, is to me actually contributing more to, to the, dis, the, the disjointed kind of um, view we have, the distorted view we have of what policing should be trying to achieve uh, in this country at this time. So uh, I, I'll be watching very closely and, and, and hope to hear, more, you know, all this guidelines from Daryl that, that indicate that he understands that there is an area that needs negotiation and tactful handling. It's not endless electioneering, this role. John, can I come to you about that? There's a very interesting relationship, which you've touched upon, obviously, between the Chief Constable and the Police and Crime Commissioner. And I wasn't aware until recently, I did some work on it, that um, I then backtracked on previous uh, chief constables and the, the the most recent long-serving chief constable was Ben Gunn and that's like 15 20 years ago and what's happened since is that chief constables are on contracts basically four or five year contracts and particularly like say Julie Spence for example she was on a contract and she has the option at the end of that contract to renew it but it's got to be for another four years and she saw a lot of changes coming afoot and all the rest of that and decided to move on. And the last four chief constables have all served a term of about four years or five years or something like that within Cambridgeshire. And so, you know, they, they get to late 40s and they're all about the same age. So they'll all leave in their early 50s, all having done sort of 25, 30 year service. And they'll retire as chief constable. Now, I suspect that what we will ought to be thinking about doing is whether we have... Um, the, a, a four-yearly cycle of elections for uh, for police and crime commissioners, and incidentally, I think Daryl Preston scored heavily by being adopted uh, just after Jason Ablewhite had to resign, and therefore the election was postponed a year. So he's been in place for qu- uh, quite a long time as the candidate and got out and about. I mean, we had a morning with him, and you know there was a story came through on our news desk about antisocial behaviour, and he. He got in the car and he went down to try and fix the problem down in um, Station Road in March. So, you know, he was a real much hands-on, go-getting sort of person. But maybe we should look at whether the Chief Constable and the Chief Police Commissioner should be, um, you know, contemporaneous terms so that the Police Commissioner comes on board. Then the first job is to appoint a Chief Constable because that's the main job that they get to do as the Police and Crime Commissioner. And they both work together for four years because they have fell out because the... Chief Constable was asked last year by all of the candidates to pause um, some of the cuts that he planned on the inquiry officers and things like, you know, the reduction in numbers from 40 to 20 of PCSOs. And, um, you know, the current Chief Constable just went ahead with them anyway, saying that there was a financial pressure for him to do that, which some of the candidates had said, no, there wasn't, he needn't have done it. So, you know, we, we do have a situation where they probably haven't started off from day one the new police and crime commissioner and the current chief constable on the best of footings. And, you know, I would suspect that Mr. Dean probably will not extend his contract. I'm oh, sorry, I can't, I can't actually agree with the idea that the um, police, uh, count, the, the chief constable and the police and crime commissioner should have their wagons hitched to each other. That, you know, the, these are roles that are completely separate. You can't have 
they're, they're not a they're not a double act. I you wasn't know, suggesting that. I was suggesting that the appointment of the chief constable be the first job of the police and crime commissioner. Mike? Yes, I, 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 and and that's precisely the 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 the, the concern the concern that I have about that is that the police and crime commissioner it needs to take a level and consistent view about what's going on, irrespective of who the chief constable is. It's 12.45, it's Cambridge 105 Radio, I'm Trevor Dan. We're reviewing the results of last week's election. Mike Shalom was the last voice you heard. John Elworthy is here as well, so is Phil Rogers, and also uh, Sean Lang, who I promoted to professor. But I think by the end of this show, he's probably going to hear that that's gone through. Um, I want to just broaden this out a little for a little while and talk nationally. We mentioned this earlier, there are two words, I was going to say two words we haven't used, of course we have used one of them which is the word Johnson uh, but we have not used the word Boris um, Sean is Boris unsinkable is he beatable can um, the, the other parties make a dent in Boris either during the rest of the pandemic or afterwards uh, No one is unbeatable but he's certainly in a much uh, an, or an even stronger position today than he was um, a couple of, a couple of uh, days ago, and of course before um, uh, ever since the 2019 election. So yes, he has very very much cemented his power within his party, um, and he will make the most of that. Um, I mean, I think what we're see- what we're seeing is um, just what the what his appeal has been around the country and i think when i say we to some extent in in cambridge because as as we've been saying you know we have been out of kilter with much of the rest of the country um and and also of course um labor have discovered hartlepool being the being the, the the key example there um and there's been some very interesting feedback from voters in hartlepool about why um they um they turned against labor um I mean, it's got to be borne in mind. I mean, this is old Peter Mandelson's old old seat, and, and this is one of the ones where it's always been um, taken for granted that it was sort of Labour to its roots, as as um, we talked about the uh, the Red Wall, of course, um, in 2019. But what some of the interviews um, have said is that people have. It's not so much that um, Labour people uh, Labour has sort of thought of Hartlepool and um, you know taking it for granted, but that Hartlepool has moved on. Um, and that the, someone said that when Keir Starmer visited Hartlepool, um, he ate fish and chips and he drank pints. And they and she said, well, do they still think that we're all sort of cloth cap, um, old style, Andy cap, working class people? Because, you know, because we're not. And I think um, in that sense, um, what you've got is a is on the one hand, I think, a Labour Party which hasn't fully understood how the, the landscape has changed and certainly hasn't adapted to it if it has understood it. And uh, this, this, yeah, as you say, uh, sort of bouncy, how, how significant it was that it was a sort of great big inflatable Boris that was floating above his head because he has got this sort of ebullient bouncy um, look. And clearly that uh, uh, with the with the um pandemic crisis and above all of course the vaccine rollout um people are prepared to sort of give him credit in a way that i think those who don't like him have never really understood and they probably never will understand mike i'm going to ask you this and and i'm going to ask you to keep it reasonably short if you can why has climate change not been a political issue I think it's you know extremely difficult for politicians to explain to people that they're going to have to 
uh, reduce their their economic activity, to reduce their you know their energy consumption, to change their cars. I think the that there has been a collective failure of traditional politics to explain to people what the inevitable consequences of climate change are and how how it is best to get on top of it early while we still have choice rather than later when we will just simply be in effect of them. And Phil, when you look at your numbers and, and plot your graphs, do you see any sense in which climate change is is playing a role? I, I mean, is is that more important than potholes and cycled lanes? Well, I think people in Cambridge are certainly very engaged with climate change issues. I mean, they care about potholes too, yes. But um, the, the parties all emphasise this quite strongly on, on in their literature and in their campaigning. Um, it's a major concern and there's a lot of uh, direct issues that the city council has to deal with. You know, they've they've got a lot of vehicles, they've got a lot of buildings. How are they going to keep all those um, or reduce, reduce the carbon uh, that, that all those are using? They have a lot of council houses. Those have all got gas boilers. What's going to happen about those? And uh, how they have a plan uh, to reduce the um, carbon consumption in, in Cambridge, but uh, how achievable that is, is difficult to say. And uh, there's a lot to do. And is it your sense now that um, that can be done? And does this election make any difference at all, or will it just be business as usual for the Labour Party in the city of Cambridge? Well, I think they're going to get pushed more and more and more by the Greens, and it's been very interesting seeing the Greens coming back in, in Abbey Ward at this election. They focused a, a lot of their efforts specifically on that one ward with the hope of making a breakthrough, which they, they did actually manage, and I think they'll try and consolidate that. They'll try and uh, maybe make a breakthrough in another ward as well, and they, they may be starting to uh, push Labour a bit more on those issues in, in the council chamber. And John Elworthy, you spend a lot of time in in in, in Fenland, and you edit a, a newspaper um, in Ely and in Wisbeach. And out in that area of Cambridgeshire, do these issues matter at all? Oh my goodness, do they matter? Yes. Um, can you get the message across about the climate change and um, that sort of issue? No, it's very difficult because it's not a very um, uh, it's not a very immediate political issue that um, local politicians want to uh, get to grips with and explain it to you. And so therefore it's not very high, you know, on, on the enthusiasts that come under my phone and want to write a, col a column on, on, on climate change or climate change initiatives in, in Cambridgeshire, you know, it happens frequently. And I started allowing a column uh, sometime at the beginning of this year. And it, it literally was mumbo jumbo. You know, because it's got unrelatable to anything that my readers could understand what they were trying to say or aspire to. And there's been, a, you know, a county council meeting had to be uh, dropped because of the Fens Biosphere Project that nobody seemed to know about. And, that, you know, so there's lots of uh, things for, I think, our elected members to catch up on to explain then in shortened form so that readers of my newspapers can actually get to grips with what it is they're trying to, to say and to achieve. Sean's trying to come in. 
Yeah, I was just going to say, I think Mike is absolutely right. It's very difficult to put across to an electorate why they've got to make such big changes to their lifestyle. And the experience of the last year has illustrated both the potential but the difficulties. So back, you know, a year or a little bit more ago, uh, one gathers that the government was really surprised at the people's willingness to make huge changes to their lifestyle in the face of the pandemic and to go into the first lockdown. And, you know, when all these rules uh, were new, and then we gradually gather we'd have to wear a mask to simply to go to the shops and all this sort of thing you know and yet people did adapt to it but the trouble is a year on people think you know that this feeling seems to be uh, well i've done all that i now deserve a treat and what's the first thing that people are wanting to do now that we're coming out of lockdown get on a plane and go on a foreign holiday and, um, and and so you get your green list and people sort of look at look askance and say, well, you know, that doesn't look very inviting. I don't want to go to the to uh, the Falkland Islands or whatever, wherever it is that's on the list. But actually, it's it's, it's almost as if going abroad um, has become a right. I mean, I mean, obviously, free travel is a right. But what I mean is, you know, the idea of your foreign holiday is almost like a sort of right. So that the word staycation, which actually means staying at home in your own home for the holiday, is sort of is now being applied to any holiday in the UK, because a real holiday is one where you, that you take abroad. And when you've got that sort of attitude, then sure enough, as John says, you're, going to, you're not going to find people see that the climate change, which is some way down the line, is something that they need to make those sort of changes for. It's got to be absolutely front in your face, like the pandemic pandemic before most people will make the sort of changes that makes it a very difficult for politicians to tackle i suppose it's the big thing that has been said for many years isn't it really that that issues like that don't play on the doorstep because you can't point at the sun and say look it's a bit hot and therefore you must vote for this whereas you can point to the pothole and say that needs filling in um john what 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 is your take uh, if it is possible, how can you get people who are not thinking about issues like that uh, to well, start paying attention and, and, and voting on those issues? Well, I have no idea. But I, do, I do believe, and I believe this most earnestly, because uh, Dr Lang talked about foreign holidays. I do think that the, the Brexit bounce that is being enjoyed by the Conservatives may um, go off the rails slightly when people experience what a lot of um, small businesses have told me in the Fens about the difficulties of dealing with Europe in a, a post-Brexit era, uh, that when we start travelling back to, to Europe and discovering what uh, passport control and immigration is like, we may get a different view and a different picture of what it is to have a holiday in Spain or uh, travel down, you know, uh, you know, the Loire and all the rest of it. And I think at that point, when we experience some of the difficulties, look at what's happening in the fishing industry the last few days. Um, and I know from some of the people that I've spoken to in Fens, they've had major problems with all the paperwork now associated with import-export. And so when it's be, when it's real people who are being temporarily exported to foreign destinations and, and then wanting to come home again and travel is free and easy without any COVID restrictions, I think we'll find that there are other uh, things that will inhibit our foreign travel and we may not think the same thoughts of Brexit that we possibly have done up until now. Just my thought. I've got a few minutes left, which uh, I'm going to use to tempt you to talk about, if I may, what you think the big issues are going to be of the forthcoming year. Um, and in fact, there's there's four of you and there's two minutes. So you've got 30 seconds each. Let's start with Phil Rogers. Well, COVID recovery, I think, and in Cambridge, housing and transport are the, the, 
big, big issues that are always occupying people's minds, particularly how many roads should we close, uh, low travel, uh, low traffic neighbourhoods and uh, issues like that. That's a, a very good less than 30 seconds, uh, Phil, you go far. Thank you very much for joining us and uh, uh, go and have a rest after your fantastic efforts yesterday on Twitter. Uh, let's you. go to uh, John Elworthy. What do you think um, we're going to be talking about for the next year? Well, I think they're going to be talking about a lot of things that have been hidden from view for the last few years. I think the combined authority has got a few um, buried treasures that we might now get to see. And certainly there's plenty in Cambridgeshire County Council that we remind you that we haven't yet seen 480 pages of the Maisel report into Farmgate. So I think transparency uh, on a more serious topic, that is serious, but housing definitely is going to be on everybody's agenda and a better way of achieving it than we've done so far. Thank you very much, John Elworthy. Uh, Mike Shalom. Yeah, um, the uh, east-west rail is uh, the obvious immediate sort of uh, situation. Why is that still diesel? Um, the developer situation, FACOM 25,000 uh, homes, is that really going to happen? Uh, I think the whole way that, uh, you know, we get a sustainable housing uh, model is, is serious, that's effective, is going to be a big issue. Uh, and one of those the, the, uh, the aspects of that is having them conform to uh, environmental heating um, and carbon guidelines. Stop you there, Mike. You've, you're over time. Finally, Sean Lang. Locally, I think it'll be transport and, and housing. I'd agree with the others. Uh, nationally and locally, it'll be the rollout from Brexit. And nationally, it'll be Scotland. And since Scotland used to rule Huntingdon, and Huntingdon used to belong to the rules of Scotland, that perhaps that could be a local. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Sean Lang, John Elworthy, Mike Shalom and Phil Rogers. It, I've been Trevor Dan. Ta-da. If you're a business owner or HR manager, you're always looking for ways to lighten your load. Someone to keep contracts and procedures in line with the law, to give you expert advice on all those tricky employment issues you come up against, so you avoid costly disputes further down the line. At Woodfights, our employment support service is built around you. Trusted, qualified solicitors on hand to guide you through the critical legal issues which affect the day-to-day -day running of your business. Get clear and expert advice. Visit woodfinds.co.uk or call 0344 967 2505. This is Cambridge 105 Radio. Coming up at 2, news, interviews and entertainment on Sunday Supplement with Tony Barnfield. Jazz Today with Pete Butchers is at 4. And at 5, news and information for the Polish community in Polish Waves. Next, from the terraces. on your phone and here. Play Cambridge 105 Radio. This is...